Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. It's February. This year is moving right along. We've got a great episode today. A lot of research looking at uh, involved with the Australian finger limes, looking at trying to help citrus be able to handle Huang Long Bing disease. All of that's a little bit later. First, as always, we start with Dr. Michael Rogers, Center Director for the Citrus Research and Education Center. Dr. Rogers, first and foremost, how are you doing, sir? Uh, doing well, Taylor. Thank you. Hey, uh, exciting news. Uh, something that we talked about over a year ago. Obviously, everyone knows what's happened since then. But uh, you guys are finally able to look at hiring somebody. There's a new position available. Yes. Um, as you mentioned, is more than a year ago on the podcast, we were talking about hiring a new faculty member in citrus horticulture that's going to work with our plant breeders to as part of the team, the plant improvement team in citrus here in Lake Alfred. This person will be uh, kind of the, the field development side of things. You know, we have our breeders who create the new varieties and this person will be trialing them and, and teaching us how to grow them better uh, and more productive. And so it's a position we've really been needing um, here at the CREC in Lake Alfred. More than a year ago, we were about ready to start that process of doing the interviews. We had inter- we had advertised the position, um, had a lot of good candidates. And literally two weeks before the first interview, well, COVID hits and the budgets kind of go to pot. And you know we, we ended up with a hiring freeze and we had to pull the plug on that search. And I'm excited that now we're actually have been given permission to go ahead. IFAS has released a number of top priority positions around the state that need to be filled. And so this is one of those top priority positions in IFAS. And so we've been given the go ahead. The position is now, it's been announced for a while. Um, I checked this morning, we currently have about 29 applicants um, and we still have a couple more weeks to go uh, for applicants to get their, their, um, their materials in. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, in early March, we will start reviewing those, those applications and start setting up interviews. Um, so hopefully this time around, we're going to be able to get an offer made to somebody, get them in here, interviewed and, and make an offer. But, but a lot of that does depend still on the budget and um, what happens in this upcoming legislative session that begins March the 2nd. And while we think things look really, really good for us in IFAS and the state as a whole, um, I guess you never know what's going to happen. And so uh, we're hoping that we don't take any cuts and we can continue on as planned. And, and I would just tell folks, if you happen to run into any, any of your legislators, make sure you mention how important IFAS is to, to our operations around the state in agriculture, because any kind of support like that will help as those decisions are being made. That's exciting to be able to finally look at that. I know uh, you guys were excited about that before. Is there is there is there ever a problem with too many applicants or everyone's welcome here? Apply. Oh, well, of course, we want everybody uh, who's qualified to apply and the more, the better. Um, you know, we'll, we'll narrow it down to uh, three or four candidates that we'll bring in for interviews. And it's going to be interesting to see how we do those interviews this year um, and what the restrictions are going to be with COVID at that point in time. And, you know, do we end up doing kind of a hybrid model where we have um, some parts of the interviews are Zoom and we still have, you know, to allow growers to participate because we do want growers feedback on these candidates and how much it's going to be in person. Of course, we'll bring the candidates in to Lake Alfred. Uh, We, you know, we have to sell them on, on coming to work for us as much as they have to sell us on hiring them. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of moving parts here and we don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, but we're, we're going to get it done and we're excited to have the opportunity to do so. 
Speaking about in-person and hybrid uh, meetings and uh, interactions, you've got some grower meetings coming up in March. One, at least one's in person, right? Yeah. So there's uh, three meetings right now in March that I'm aware of. There may be more that pop up. Um, and as we mentioned on the last podcast, um, a, a lot of these meetings are listed on the Citrus Agents website. So if you go to the website um, for the UFI for Citrus Extension Agents, two of the meetings right now are already already listed on the site. Um, one is it's a virtual meeting. The first two are virtual meetings uh, via Zoom. And uh, the first one is March the 9th, where uh, Dr. David Kadiampakini from the CREC is given a seminar on citrus irrigation and nutrient management. And then on March 23rd, um, Dr. Sarah Strauss from the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee is giving a seminar on cover crops and soil health. And so growers who are interested in those two seminars uh, can go to the Citrus Agents website to sign up or register for those meetings, and those are virtual. But as you mentioned, there is one meeting uh, taking place in March that is an in-person meeting, and this is, this is a little bit further north in the state. These are for the growers up in Volusia, Orange, Putnam, Lake, and Marion counties, that, that net neighborhood of the state. And well, what's happening is in, in Volusia County, there's going to be a, it's a CUPS, or Citrus Center Protective Structure, field day at uh, Vaux LaSalle Farms in uh, DeLeon Springs. And that's taking place on March 25th. And um, uh, the owner of that, that farm, uh, Steve Crump, is going to be given a tour of his, his CUPS operation there. And there's also going to be several speakers from IFAS. Uh, talking about related to- topics related to cups or citrus under protective screen as well. Um, that, that meeting will have CEUs available, and I think there's a sponsored lunch as well. But again, just as a reminder, um, you know, we still are knee-deep in COVID right now, and so they are going to require, when people come to that meeting, one, you know, sign up in advance, but they are going to be putting in some social distancing practices, wearing a mask, and of course, importantly, if, if you don't feel well, please don't attend because <laughs> we don't want to spread anything around. But the organizers of that meeting are uh, Karen Stodderman and Juanita Popino, uh, agents from those northern counties. And um, there's going to be more announcements coming uh, forthcoming on the websites. But if you miss them uh, and you want to register for that meeting, you can go contact the Volusia County Extension Office and they'll get you signed up for that meeting, which is again on May the or March the 25th. So uh, in person, of course, still doing those safety precautions. And yes, that's a good reminder. If you do feel ill, do not go to these uh, (laughs) in-person events. But you can find out all that information and other events that pop up in between these podcast episodes uh, on the uh, website at crec.ifis.ufl.edu. Um, I, cups is, is a topic that I think everybody likes to uh, hear more about and also being able to see a grower and how they have it set up and functioning. That's really valuable for growers. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, from the researcher's standpoint, you know, we're working on controlling individual variables. And a lot of times, you know, you get these growers, they, they come up with some new ideas or twist on things and, you know, really put an experience in the field to work. And so it's great to, to, to listen to uh, the growers talk about their experiences, what works for them, what doesn't. And we always, you know, there's never a time when I'm not out in a grower's field that I, bring, I don't bring away something that I've learned just based on their experiences that helps us down the road. So it's a great opportunity for everybody to, to hear from folks who are doing this, you know, on their own, you know, trying to, trying to stay in business and figuring out how to make it work. Bringing good news to today's podcast with a new position and some in-person grower meetings. Dr. Michael Rogers, uh, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. 
We're now going to jump over to research assistant scientist, Dr. Manjul Dutt. Dr. Dutt, thank you so much for joining me today, first of all. Thank you, um, Taylor, for having me. We're going to talk about something uh, very interesting in what you guys are doing there. You have a study that we're going to talk about, which has a couple different components. But first, let's let's give a little introduction for people who don't know um, about finger limes. That's what the focus is of this. Finger limes have been kind of introduced uh, in the U.S. here over the last several years. Uh, you're starting to see people grow them. And there's a specialty market for them. They call it the caviar, right? Because they have these uh, little juice um, modules basically in them. They're a very interesting product. That's what you guys have started focusing on here as p possibly an alternative crop in Florida, right? Correct. That is correct. Um, so let me give you a background about how we ended up working on the finger limes. So for several years, we have been having a collection of these finger limes in our, um, you know, in our collection. And we noticed that these finger limes tended to be better off towards HLB than, you know, other trees in the collection. So we started evaluating some of these finger limes and we quickly understood that finger limes are more tolerant to HLB than any conventional citrus. Also, once we started talking with the stakeholders, they also developed an interest in finger limes because, as you mentioned earlier, finger limes can be grown as a niche specialty crop. The difference between finger limes and regular citrus is in their juice vesicles. As you know, Taylor, conventional citrus, like the sweet oranges and mandarin, they have juice vesicles that are fused to each other, while finger limes have juice vesicles that are separate. And when, when you cut open a finger lime, those juice vesicles just pop out and they are kind of likened to um, a vegetarian caviar. Yeah, it's it's very interesting fruit. And uh, also in the news, we've heard about what you just said, which was that finger limes can be somewhat uh, tolerant to HLB disease. Um, one of the things that it does where you guys were when you guys were looking at this was it, it discourages the feeding of the Asian citrus psyllid, right? So we're not seeing as much um, uh, passing of the disease as we would in citrus varieties. Correct. And, um, you know, one of our collaborators, um, Dr. Nabil Kilini, um, did a pilot study on this a couple of years back. And so we have a number of theories as to why this finger lime could be tolerant to HLB. So it could be um, due to two different reasons. It could be due to the presence of physical barriers, or it could be due to the presence of certain toxins or certain chemicals in the phloem that the candidatus liberobacter asiaticus do not like. One of the examples I can give you is that finger limes, the young flush contains high levels of anthocyanins. So if you see a young finger lime tree flushing, you'll see that the tips are all um, kind of dark red in color. There are several studies that indicate that, you know, all these insects, for example, the diaphragmus citri, that is the Asian citrus psyllid, they move according to visual cues. And it's possible that this high level of anthocyanin in the young leaves can discourage their feeding and also in that way prevent the transmission of silas at a much lower rate than what would happen with sweet oranges or mandarins, which don't have this red uh, flush. So 
when Dr. Killini looked into the phloem chemistry of the finger limes, he also found that, you know, these, the finger lime phloem was also high in certain aldehyde compounds. And, you know, he looked at several compounds that were um, high. One of the compounds of interest is a compound called citronellal. And that compound in many, many studies has shown to have antibacterial activity. So it is possible that because of the enhanced production of some of these compounds, there could be antibacterial, antimicrobial activity going on in the phloem itself that could be preventing the replication of CLAS. Now, we are doing a separate study um, looking at how um, the infection progresses in um, uh, these trees. And what we have also observed is that when you force infect finger limes with the HL uh, with the Candidatus liberobacter, they do get infected, but the rate of replication of the CLAS cells is much lower when you compare with something like a standard Valencia, for example. That's very interesting. So it's kind of a multi-prong uh, tolerance approach that these finger limes have. The the color is very interesting because I know certain netting, uh, they're looking at the different colors of netting to uh, confuse insects as well. So that color is, uh, is very interesting as well. Now, these are from Australia. Originally, finger limes are. Um, we want to try to grow them. I know there's some growers in California that are producing them. You guys are trying to grow them in Florida, uh, both trying to find a cultivar that would, would handle Florida okay, and then also looking at um, different uh, regimens for keeping them healthy among HLB, right? So at this point of time, there is not much information on how you can actually grow finger limes commercially in Florida. So since this is a very new crop, we submitted a proposal a few years back to the Florida Department of Agriculture, which was funded and which allowed us to establish a finger lime rootstock trial. So we are looking at several different rootstocks, trying to understand which rootstock is suitable for the growth of finger lime, and then take this information and subsequently do several multi-location trials. As you know, Taylor, you know, the soils are different in different zones and, you know, the nutrition levels are also different. Um, we are doing this experiment here in our, you know, in our uh, sandy soil. We would like to see how, you know, finger limes would grow in the soil that is in Miami, for example, where there is a very high demand for finger limes. And once we have this data, then we can um, establish these multi-location trials. The other component that we are also working on is trying to develop newer varieties that can grow well in Florida. So what we have done is we have taken the few varieties that are available here commercially um, that may or may not be very um, you know, good, and we have made crosses with them from pollen that we obtained from the USDA's citrus collection that is maintained along with the University of California, Riverside. And from that process, we have selected a number of advanced lines that we hope 
that can grow well in Florida. And hopefully, um, with stakeholder support, we should be able to release a couple of them. There are two of them right now in the pipeline that are looking very promising. One of the main problems with finger limes that we have here in Florida is that it's the trees are very compact in size. And, you know, if you have looked at a finger lime tree, you'll see that it's a very, very thorny tree. And one of the issues that the pickers have is they don't like to pick fruit from trees that are so thorny. One of our research objectives was to develop finger lime hybrids that were less thorny and that had a much more open canopy than what we have currently in Florida. And we have been quite successful in doing that. And we have um, a number of our advanced UF developed hybrids in several multi-location trials. You know, we have them in both university trials and also we have a number of stakeholders who have a good interest in growing them and we have given them trees. And they are growing all these and they seem to be doing quite well now. And so based on their feedback, we should be able to um, release some of these um, newer finger lime varieties. And as a bonus, the initial results, it looks like these are also going to be quite HLB tolerant. That's exciting. I didn't even think, I, you know, I've had finger limes. I've seen the finger lime tree. I didn't even think about the thorns on the tree. So, so trying to remove those just to uh genetically remove those to be able to harvest easier that's what you're looking at correct um both to reduce the thorns and also to have a tree that has a kind of a more open canopy st- structure so that the pickers can actually reach inside and get the fr- fruits out safely Exciting. That's uh, exciting information. Hopefully we can see those here pretty quickly if they can uh, come out and producers can start looking at those. The other aspect of this, and we've heard this about how um, trying to introduce some of those HLB tolerant characteristics in finger limes with new citrus cultivars. Is that correct? That is correct. So um, we want to also um, incorporate or introgress, as the technical term is, this HLB tolerance traits into conventional citrus. And um, we have been um, working to do this for several years now, and we have a large population of hybrids between finger limes and conventional citrus. When I mean conventional citrus, I mean, you know, mandarins, pomelos, grapefruits, and other citrus that you see in the market. And the interesting aspect is that it's relatively easy to make crosses between the finger lime with these conventional citrus. And we have um, a large population. We, at this point of time, we have thousands of trees in the field that are being evaluated. And we have several of those finger limes that are quite promising. So we know that this HLB tolerance can be transferred from the finger lime into our conventional citrus varieties. Exciting news there too as well. Fingers crossed that we can get something out on that as well. Uh, Again, appreciate your time. All right. Thank you so much.
We're now going to go over to uh, two grants looking at some new research that's going to be field tested um, in these studies. Uh, heading over to Dr. Uta Albrecht from uh, UF IFAS, plant physiologist. Uh, Dr. Albrecht, first of all, thank you for joining me. Hi, Taylor. How are you? I am doing well. Exciting research you're getting to kick off here. Um, two of them is what we're going to be talking about. These are funded through USDA's NIFA, um, the Emergency Citrus Disease Research and Extension Program grants, which is, I think it's exciting to see that. Uh, the first project, uh, it's a shorter one, three year. I, I know we wanted to try to go longer with that, but the first one is very exciting. You're going to be looking at some new cultivars that could be that could handle HLB a little bit better. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So this uh, this project was initially intended for uh, to be five years, but um, the agency um, wanted, I guess, award mo multiple grants instead of just few grants. So we were cut short to three years. But in any case, it's very excited, and I'm very fortunate and happy to be on this um, great group of researchers. So the, the, the project director is a researcher from the University of California, Riverside. Um, we are in total about, I think, seven um, researchers. And um, another colleague here from the University of Florida is Dr. Guan from the Gulf Coast REC. Um, he will do some economic analysis. The project is about um, testing novel um, um, HLB-resistant or tolerant citrus hybrid scion cultivars. Um, they have been... Um, uh, the, the project director, Dr. Ramadugu, has been breeding um, new novel varieties, and, and she uses a resistant uh, citrus relative, namely Australian lime, to breed into um, citrus varieties. Um, um, extensive research has shown that the Australian limes show a resistance or higher levels of tolerance to HLB. So, of course, they are not. Um, some of the uh, Australian limes are the finger limes that uh, are um, used in many restaurants, um, for example. And um, but um, for obviously they're not usable for uh, juicing oranges. So we are trying to create some new scion varieties by introducing citrus into the Australian lime. That's exciting. I, I think uh, yeah, you're right. The Australian limes have been kind of the hot word in research, uh, looking at Huang Long Bing disease now for. Uh, about a year. Um, so it's exciting to see uh, these new cultivars that are going to be tested. But, but you know, part of the reason of field testing these is it's great if it has some tolerance, but you also need to see what kind of a fruit. It, I mean, if growers can't be profitable from this, it's not worth anything. Yes, exactly. So um, these um, um, varieties have been pre-selected. Um, the, the researchers have done some studies on fruit quality. They have a system developed. Um, um, those researchers are also on the project where they can induce flowering at a very young stage through a um, transgenic system, the F a flowering gene. But these um, fruit that we, are, the plants that we are testing, are non-transgenic. It's just a system that they're using to induce fruit production early. So they were able to test the fruit. They had um, 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 testing panels by people actually tasting the fruit. They also did metabolomics analyses to see um, where the fruit quality falls in comparison to mandarins and citrus varieties. So these first round of hybrids that we are testing in the field are pre-selected for their fruit quality. And I have to say, so at this stage, there is, it's the first generation of hybrids, so they won't taste quite uh, yet like oranges, but they will have more like a lemon-like flavor. But while we're testing these varieties, so, uh, we will conduct, um, the researchers have um, started already to do a second round of um, breeding, where the first generation will be further used to integrate even more citrus 
into um, these um, plants so that we're um, getting more and more to a juiceable orange tasting like um, fruit. Well, good, Emily. At least there was some kind of pre-evaluation there to get you guys started. Also, you guys really need to see how this grows in Florida, right? Yes, exactly. So um, one of the challenges with this grant was to get the, overcome these regulatory hurdles. Uh, so uh, during the writing process of the grant, we have initiated um, you know, conversations and permits with um, USDA APHIS and uh, DPI here in Florida. So we're in the process now, hopefully any day now, um, that the buttwood, the buttwood is, um, the butt source plants are grown under um, registered facilities in California. They have to be shipped here. They will be shipped to DPI first um, for further testing. And then the buttwood will be um, transported to um, a nursery here in Florida. Um, and the nursery owner will then um, create um, but these new varieties onto um, two different rootstock varieties we'll be using, um, most likely US 942, because this is the most popular um, rootstock um, at this time, and um, US 812. And then we will hopefully by the end of this year, we will plant them out in the field and um, test for their horticultural traits, um, cross characteristics, and um, of course, how they hold up um, in the face of HLB. So we will do extensive um, symptom ratings, and we will um, investigate the, um, the bacterial titer levels. And hopefully by the end of the uh, year three, we will have the, um, the, our first fruit for a, a fruit quality analysis. That's exciting. I know a lot of growers are always uh, interested in uh, once you start testing new cultivars. So exciting to see how that research plays out. The second project we're talking about today is uh, looking at um, kind of a, a an all-encompassing strategy to improve root health. Is that right? Yes. So this is a fairly um, large project with uh, multiple um, components. And it's um, for five, it's a five-year project, so I'm also very, very excited to be um, collaborating with this large group of people. I think we are 11 people in total. Uh, half of them are from the University of California in Riverside. We have three people from <clears throat> University of Florida here at um, SwiftRec, and with, I'm very happy that this is a collaboration between um, Dr. Sarah Strauss, a, microbi a soil microbiologist, and uh, Dr. Ramdas Kanisari, our weed scientist here at the center. So I'm very excited that the three of us can collaborate on this multi-institutional um, project. And there are other people from University of California in Davis, also um, USDA and um, California State University. A lot of commercial citrus growers, too, to help you out with this project. Uh, you guys will be testing different strategies. Are these current strategies or are these going to be new strategies? Some of these strategies are already, um, some of the growers are already implementing them, um, not necessarily in an experimental design, but um, so the major scope of this is to improve um, root health. There has a lot, lot of um, emphasis been on root health. Um, I, at this point, I want to just um, clarify that HLB is not a root disease like Phytophthora, for example, but definitely if the canopy dies back, then the roots will obviously decline too. And um, when the roots start to decline, other um, soil microbes, um, um, pathogenic microbes can take over like Phytophthora, for example, or Fusarium, and they can further exacerbate the root um, decline. So we're looking um, at uh, strategies to improve the root health of uh, citrus trees. And we're doing this with, uh, with various approaches. The main approaches are being um, to apply compost 
to improve the soil health. Um, as we all know, in Florida, we really don't have soils. We have um, sand. There is a really um, no organic matter or less than 1% of organic matter. We have a very low cation exchange capacity, so the nutrients um, leach very easily. So any strategy that improves the soil will likely also improve the health of the roots. So in addition to compost, we are also using some other uh, products that growers like to use, um, um, humic um, humic substances like humic acids, fulvic acids, and we also um, want to plant cover crops. And there are already my colleague Dr. Strauss has already initiated some other experiments from other projects, so she's experienced in in this um, part of the project. And um, my colleague Dr. Canisari, who is the wheat um, scientist, um, we will in. On top of the organic amendments, we will test um, weed management because there have been some observations that use of glyphosate, for example, may exacerbate fruit drop. And so um, we will test the combination of um, organic amendments, weed management, and also rootstock um, cultivar as a, um, how they interact um, with soil properties and with root health. Yeah, and that's a good uh, point you made there is to remember that, you know, HLB is, is not, it, it's not a root disease. So what you're doing here is until we have a cultivar that is tolerant to the disease or until we have a cure for the disease, um, it really is all about trying to keep that plant and that tree as healthy as possible. Yes, exactly. That's correct. Yeah, we are fortunate. Um, we have very good collaborations and history with uh, uh, growers here and, um, and other locations in Florida. So um, our part here is to do some extensive field trials, and um, we have initiated some of these trials. Or the trials have been, or the trees have been planted already in um, uh, 2019. So we can go on top of these existing growth, so that means we don't have to wait many years for them to produce fruit. So there's two components of this uh, project, um, like new plantings and also growth re rehabilitation of existing growth. For our new plantings, we will use trials that are already in place since 2019. One of these trials will only have one rootstock variety, that's US 802, and we will put cover crops and organic amendments and do the weed management on this trial. And another um, trial is, and these are 10 acre trials each, so they're fairly large, not just individual trees. And another trial is currently funded by um, CRDF and where we examine um, compost applications. But once the CRDF grant is over, we will go on top of this grant and we will use um, cover crops and uh, additional organic amendments and um, combine this with weed management. And in this trial, we have four different rootstock cultivars that are on the top 10 um, propagated rootstocks right now. Three of them are citrandarines, so that means mandarin trifoliate hybrids, which have shown some um, good tolerance um, under HLB endemic conditions. So it will be very exciting to investigate the interaction of these three uh, components. That is exciting. Also, very interesting that uh, you guys are able to do um, in a in a replant situation, new plants uh, situation, and then also um, an established orchard. So that, that will be exciting to see the results from that. Again, uh, UF IFAS is Dr. Uta Albrecht, a plant physiologist. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for um, talking to me, Taylor. And thank you for listening to February's episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. A lot of positive news regarding the finger limes and potential to help fight against HLB disease. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, search All In for Citrus wherever you get yours, and we'll see you again next month. 
Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.